Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to have a co-host as well as a guest. So our guest first is Angus Robertson. Welcome, Angus. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Angus is the Chief Revenue Officer at Axiant. They provide business continuity and disaster recovery software for managed service providers. We're going to actually cover a broad range of topics today. We're going to talk about metrics that matter. We're going to talk about a flywheel approach for go-to-market. We'll talk a little bit about channel strategy, which I presume is part of that flywheel approach. And then quite uh, uniquely amongst some of the folks, CROs that we've interviewed, Angus actually moved from CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, to Chief Revenue Officer. We've talked to a lot of people who've assumed the Chief Revenue Officer up through the sales ranks. So uh, Angus has some unique perspective given his own experience. And then my co-host is Sean Day Person. Welcome, Sean Day. Thanks, Jeremy. Sean Day is an account manager here at SalesLoft. And uh, I'm super excited. This will be the first episode that we're co-hosting together. So we'll, we'll have fun. Angus, in order to get to know you before we dive into some of those deeper topics, love to hear how you learn, how you keep the saw sharp. Sure. For me, it's all about environment. One of my favorite books is Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel. And it's all about being an environment where you've got that insane learning curve. So surrounding you yourself with people that challenge you, in markets that are interesting with problems that are hard and making impact. But I'm pretty lazy otherwise. So if you're in a tough environment, you're forced to learn. One thing that I have heard is as people become more and more senior in the organizations, it's harder and harder for them to do that just because you don't have as many peers to draw from. And then sometimes people who you know work one or two or even three layers and more below you may feel intimidated by some conversations, even though they probably shouldn't. How do you continue to surround yourself with people that challenge you? Yeah, it's a part of creating the environment again. So I was in telecom for quite a while. When I was in telecom, I was quite involved in industry standard bodies and industry forums. So while I'm at Axiant, there's an industry forum called CompTIA. They're actually a nonprofit that's about $100 million. I'm co-chair of one of their seven industry councils called the Business Applications Advisory Councils. It's how we connect SaaS vendors to uh, solution providers and resellers. But on the uh, council, we have about 20 members and we get to put those people together. So we have CEOs and CMOs and CROs of like the coolest high-performing companies in the channel. And it's cool to meet with them every other week just to catch up, but also to have them scare you a little bit. <laughs> you said to have them scare you. What is an example of how like a peer has challenged you in a, in a way that made you scared? Well, there's a CEO of a software provider called Ninja, and they're doing quite well. He's a serial uh, entrepreneur and has done well with a number of startups. But, you know, he gets frustrated by something. He's like, I'll just build it. And he does it in like two days. And before you know it, you have this awesome application that, you know, we wouldn't have had otherwise. And just seeing how quickly you can solve a problem and kind of the UX around that problem, it's enlightening. Angus, I noticed that you have been CMO and CRO at the same company, which is unique to a lot of the guests that we have on the podcast. Something that's top of mind um, for a lot of people that I've spoken with and just best-in-class organizations is better alignment between sales and marketing. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about something that you do or something that you wish 
CMOs or CROs at other companies knew to create better alignment between marketing and sales? Yeah, it's a great question. It's one of those things that uh, I've been a VP of marketing or a CMO for many years, right? And I always thought of myself and prided myself on my ability to align with sales. I'm like, I'm just great at this. I really know how sales thinks. I know how to make them successful. Then you get the sales job and you're like, I didn't understand any of this. I hate to, you know, tell those old VP of sales peers that I that I worked with that, yeah, you're you're right, you had a, a really good point, but they did. As VP of marketing or CMO, I always prioritized intersection points between sales and marketing around three areas, the business development team around setting meetings and accepting opportunities, sales enablement between product marketing and actually the enablement of those tools and positioning and the training around that being in sales, and then the revenue operations team and how that balances between the two teams. I think it's a good start, but until you're in that sales role, you really don't appreciate and understand the pressure that comes with hitting that monthly number. You just don't feel it. You don't have an understanding of it. And because you can't understand it or see it, unless you're in that seat, you can't prioritize as effectively because you just don't understand that point of view. So my ability to prioritize and ensure alignment across the organization is definitely a lot better because I understand the marketing point of view, but I also know what matters to hit that month and also hit you know, two quarters from now and hit a year from now. So being able to balance those priorities and really feel what makes a difference has changed how I think about things. And is there any advice that you could give for CMOs who aren't planning to move into a CRO role to be able to create that same urgency or fire around the quarter that the salespeople have? Whatever you can do to gain that perspective, you know, spend some time getting involved in the deals and having some kind of ownership or accountability for some of those deals, I think really makes a difference. Perhaps even tying some of your compensation to the VP of sales or, or CRO as well. But it's hard to replicate. I can empathize so much with you because I came through originally semiconductor engineering into product then into marketing and ultimately into sales. And, and I was a CMO before I was a CRO. And it was a wake up, complete wake up between the two. And I think my biggest lesson was what I thought was a good lead when I was in marketing and what I thought was a good lead or think is a good lead in sales are, are so very different. My new thinking on this, and maybe it's too myopic, is unless it's a demo request, it's not a lead. I feel we should just nurture people until and tease them constantly with a call to action for a demo. Now that you've had been on both sides, what's, what's a good lead? What's a quality lead? No, I think you're right. I think that's insightful. That's where I've gotten to as well. And it's only been recent. And I'm a fan of some of the marketing automation software out there. And there's this term called PQL or product qualified lead. And this also relates to the flywheel model because it's all about how do you have sales ready products? So if you really understand your market, so the personas and their pain points that are similar, that reference each other, that's a target market. And you can bring forward the value of your solution, of your product, such that that prospect and that market or that persona has an aha moment very quickly relative to their pain. That's amazing when it comes to sales velocity. So I think that's the trick. So to your point, we've changed our flow where any product qualified lead goes directly to the sales team. Anything else 
gets nurtured or gets followed up on by the SDR, but it needs to be some interest in the product and some validation around your product value relative to their pain. Because until that happens, they're not really serious about you. Can you expand a little bit on what a product qualified lead is? I have now run across the term and I've begun to think of it as freemium in disguise, but correct me on how I'm wrong about that. No, I think you're right. Um, I've sort of defined it my own way a little bit, but typically it's defined by somebody using a product and raising their hand within the product. So they do something or ask for something, either another feature or another product set from within the product. But I broadened it a little bit more where for us, it's everything from a trial request to a demo request and even some freemium type uh, activity where they may have a few licenses that are free forever for a certain, a certain use case or certain set of capabilities. And then you nurture and develop those existing users. I mentioned that you're in the business continuity and disaster recovery space for managed service providers. Can you ex- explain what some of those words mean for folks who are listening? Yeah, absolutely. So our vision is to cure data loss. And we have a platform called Axiom X360, which essentially provides backup and business continuity for small and medium-sized businesses. But we sell exclusively through a channel. This channel is managed service providers. So they're generally small and medium-sized businesses themselves. There's at least 100,000 VARs out there. And 40 to 50,000 of them have some kind of managed service capability. And that managed service is generally going to a small and medium-sized business. It could be a doctor's office, financial services, small construction company, or manufacturing. And that MSP will outsource their IT, primarily help desk, all the infrastructure. But on the managed services side, it'll be things like Office 365 or G Suite on the productivity side. And then it'll be all the security and endpoint protection, and then backup and business continuity. It's really interesting because I've traditionally sold to enterprise companies. So going through MSPs, which are small business, and uh, most of the time, and selling to small business, the scale thing's different because we have about 3,000 managed service providers that we sell through, but they represent about 50,000 small and medium-sized businesses. We're not that big ourselves, but it's more of a transactional business where you know, our sales cycle is about 15 days compared to you know, what I've been used to, which can be three, four, five months or even longer. Even larger, more monolithic companies on the enterprise side are thinking about the flywheel and the land and expand model. Because if you're able to identify who your ideal customer profile is from a demographic and firmographic and technographic standpoint, then you want to have a relationship with them so you can have a conversation with them. So what's the best way to have a relationship with them? It's providing value in some kind of freemium type product, which has a very low barrier to entry. And once they're engaging with you and they're deriving some value from some part of your solution set, you have a reason to call them and further develop a relationship and establish credibility and trust. And then you get to understand more about their business overall, and you get to find opportunities to up and cross your other product capabilities. And then the third element of it is really around adoption enablement and getting those ideal customers to at least 40% adoption, this is sort of the Microsoft model, and create advocates and champions so that you really scale your sales and marketing efforts through things like NPS, where you have 
those customers that are highly adopted with your solution and evangelists for you actually out there bringing on new ideal customers for you and paying for your software at the same time. What are some challenges that your salespeople are facing in selling to the channel? And as a sales rep, I would think that a benefit would be that you have a lot of inbound coming to you or people that once you've built this rapport with them, they'll come and bring more customers onto you. One challenge is losing that control in the sales process. Are those similar challenges or is there anything else that you have challenges with and, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. So it's really cool because you can have that kind of scale, right? You have 3,000 customers essentially that are representing another 50,000. So from a support and service standpoint and even a billing standpoint, you're much more scalable and, and cost efficient. But at the same time, you don't necessarily get access to those end clients. And you may be spending more on your sales and marketing and you'll have a larger sales and marketing team. And then on top of that, the resellers will have perhaps 10 different vendors that they're dealing with. So how do you become top of mind, number one? And then number two, how do you make sure not only you're top of mind, but you've enabled them to be effective representatives of your company and of your, of your solution? So that sell-through model is really critical and being able to activate their ability to grow with your product. And we're still just starting to tap into that capability with sell-through programs. But it's definitely challenging when you don't have necessarily access to that end user. Uh, what's some advice that you have for how to actually become top of mind for a reseller when they do have so many potential partners that they can work with? Sometimes non-exclusive relationships also, right? That they might also deal with some of your competitors. Yeah, I think back to when I was working for a telecom company, we we're about a $500 million company. And uh, we used a fair amount of overlays. So we had one sales team that had multiple products that they would sell. So what can you do to make their life easier? How can you retire their quota easier and faster than any of the other business units or, or products? And I think it's a similar approach with resellers and understanding how they're trying to grow, what their challenges are, what their dollar focus is and where their headaches are, and how can you help them get more dollars and at the same time relieve those headaches. And you've got to make it as simple as possible. It's got to be really, really simple. So we essentially have two go-to-market offers, one's around business continuity and security, and the other's around migrating clients to cloud services. And both are market trends and events that are happening anyway that resellers have to respond to. And so we just make it easier for them to sort of catch that wave and grow their business in the process. One challenge, I guess, with companies that are 100% channel-based is a competitor can come along that has a more direct approach and you know does not have that markup. Is that a real concern? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. So for example, we have three solutions um, that are part of our, our platform. One is sell-through. The other two are really sell to the, the reseller, but the sell through competes with OneDrive and Dropbox, right? So obviously fair amount of investment from both Dropbox and Microsoft into those two products and a fairly powerful B2C strategy. So how can an MSP differentiate against those two solutions? It's all about the service and relationship they provide. So if they can go in and it's an SMB who's not who doesn't want to focus on the technology so much, but you know wants to grow their business. And that MSP can say, I can help you 
navigate the technology. And all you have to worry about from me is I'm going to provide you an SLA around these tech services, and I'm going to make sure I hit those SLAs. Otherwise, you'll get rebates or discounts. So for example, having a managed data service where data security and it's really clear who owns what and how data is managed overall, there are a number of SMBs who do prefer that approach. So there is space there. One thing we have not talked about yet that I know you're super passionate about is metrics that matter. So let's transition over to that topic. Why are you so passionate about that? I think in being able to progress your business with your CEO, with your management team, and of course, with your board, being able to provide data in a consumable format that they can say, yeah, you know what you're talking about. And I can see why it's better to go this route than another way or what's working or what's not working. It really underpins a strong narrative and uh, your ability to progress your agenda. For you, as you're running a channel business, what are some of the unique metrics that, that matter in the world of channel sales? So I definitely subscribe to some of the most common metrics that really make a difference. Things like LTV and CAC and uh, sales velocity, looking at your overall demand waterfall and breaking that out by territory and campaign relative to sales velocity. Also, your customer and partner health, You know things like MPS. Selling through resellers, we put a much bigger emphasis on our customer health score. We're putting quite a lot of work into it where our buyer journey or our partner journey has 11 distinct stages. And many of those different stages, everything from how they first meet us to how they become a new logo to onboarding to putting their plan together to billing and support and even advocacy, we have for each of those 11 stages two or three KPIs that we care about that matter for that stage. And then at each of those stages, we also measure that partner reseller sentiment. So we can compare how we think we're doing at each of those stages and also how the department that owns that stage is performing relative to how the reseller scores us in aggregate and on a specific cohort basis. So we know overall how we're doing stage by stage but also overall, what is our health score? So that's an area that we put a lot of work in because we really care about that partner or reseller experience and get into that champion or, or advocacy standpoint, especially for our ideal partner profile. Angus, we, we covered a lot of ground today. If people want to learn more about you, learn more about the company, what's the best way for them to do that? Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, just Angus R1, the number one. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Shonday. Thanks, Angus. Great to talk with you both. Thank you. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.